Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Of course, it's Resurrection Sunday, so we're talking about the resurrection. But I want to set a stage first because, you know, you can't have a resurrection if you don't have a death. Right? Has to be a death first, and death seems to be final. But with Jesus, it's not final. Amen? And it never has the final say. Matthew 27, look at verse 27 through 31. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put, him on, a scarlet ro- put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had pl- plated a crown of thorns, they put it on, upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Let's rewind and go back about 2,000 years. And we don't know what took place after that Friday that this all occurred. And let's set the stage for what was really going on around that time. First of all, we know that Jesus just celebrated the Passover and instituted his supper, the Lord's Supper. And then they left that place and they just began walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the process, they were singing the hollow hymns. Well, what else was going on was this. Jesus goes into the garden. He begins praying as if it were drops of blood. And of course, his disciples are sleeping because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But then you've got angels that were ministering to Jesus because of he knew what he was going to go through and he needed some assistance and some help, and the angels were there to help. Then, of course, we have someone like Judas. He's out there betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter is denying that he even knows him. And the rest of the disciples, they are scurrying about, running about. Why? Because they're fearful for their own lives. Then you've got these crowds that are crying out, crucify, crucify him. Could they have been some of the ones that said, Hosanna, Hosanna? Now it's crucify him, crucify him, take his life from him. Pilate, of course, he's caving in under the pressure of the Sanhedrin and all the religious religious leaders. And so he turns him over. And when he turns him over, of course, a trial takes place. A mock trial takes place. Then we have the Romans. He's turned over to them. They get out their cat of nine tails and they start ripping his back and shredding his flesh with the cat of nine tails. Hard to imagine that scene. But they crown him with thorns. And now we've got all evil rejoicing over what's going on. If you could just take back the curtain and see the realms of darkness. They are rejoicing because, see, the one that was wreaking havoc with their kingdom is now about to die. He's then nailed to the cross by these Roman soldiers. It's a painful thing. 
we can't even begin to imagine what it felt like physically for him. But he's nailed to the cross. The priests, they're just mocking him, spitting on him, reviling him. One verse says, walking around. These very ones that he came to redeem, to set free, and to make whole, they're walking around the cross and reviling him, mocking him. Come on down, you saved other people, etc., etc. He came to his own, and his own received him not. It's a hard thing for him, I'm sure, to swallow. Well, death is on its way. On Friday, all this is going on. On Friday, all of a sudden, he cries out and he says, My Father, my God, why have you forsaken me? After making that declaration, he gives up the ghost and he dies. Jesus is now dead. Of course, the Roman soldier made sure that he was dead by piercing his side. His body is claimed by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and he's brought down, and he's placed into a tomb, and that tomb is sealed and guarded with the Roman guard. See, on Friday, Jesus died. On Friday, seemingly, Satan wins. On Friday, seemingly, evil has conquered. All hopes of mankind are gone, because it's Friday. And on Friday, sin and death seemingly have prevailed. This quietness goes on throughout all of Saturday. But I want you to know something this morning, my brother and sister. It's no longer Friday. It's Sunday. And let Matthew 28 talks about Sunday. Let's look at what it says about Sunday. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said to the woman, Fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. It's no longer Friday. It's Sunday. The soldiers are gone. The seal has been broken. The stone has hurled away. The sepulcher has no body in it. The scars, the shroud... The sightings all tell a story. And what's the story? He's alive. He's arisen. And he made his declaration, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and hell. And that story has not been refuted for all these 2,000 years although many have come up with some crazy ideas as to what really took place. But just to set the record straight, I want to share with you very quickly and briefly seven aspects or seven facts about the resurrection of Jesus that make it irrefutable, undeniable. Number one, the soldiers. Let's read the verses. In Matthew 27, 62, 
Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. So command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away, and saying to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone, notice sealing the stone, and setting a watch. Now we've got these soldiers that are there, and these are Roman soldiers, and they are in groups of 16. And four of them, they face uh, the tomb, and the other 12, what they do is lie down around it in, in like a circle, and they face it as well, but then they lie down and rest. And so the four watching that tomb, making sure it's secure and protected and guarded. And then they would take turns sleeping during that time to see to it that it was always guarded. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection of our Lord, what happened to these soldiers that were there? These trained, highly trained warriors that laid their lives down to protect the tomb or anything else that they had been called upon to protect. Well, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city and told the leading priests what had happened. Oh, Oh, why, why to the priest? You weren't going to go to Pilate. You'll probably die if you go to Pilate. So they go to the priest and they say, what happened? A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night watch while we were sleeping and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. That is so funny that these 16 soldiers were sleeping while the body was stolen, and while they were asleep, they saw the body being stolen. They were sleeping. <laughs> you talk about a big hole in that kind of theory. They were sleeping. How do they know who stole the body? They know who stole the body. They were, if they were sleeping, it doesn't even make any common sense whatsoever. So they took a bribe. They were paid off. They started the rumor or the story that the body was stolen by the disciples. And there's a lot more to that, but we, we'll make it short. Secondly, we have the seal. For Pilate to grant the seal for these people meant he must have believed that Jesus was innocent. They took a rope, put it around the stone and put on each side with wax or clay and with a, with a signet. And it was sealed. And that meant everything inside was in order. They made sure of that. So now you've got the seal there, but guess what? The seal is now broken. And with that seal being broken, if they had to go back to Pilate and report what had happened, it would cost them once again their lives. They would die. They saw to it that they would watch over that grave with their lives because their lives did depend upon it. Number three, we've got the stone. Look at Matthew 27 once again. This stone is huge, but let's, get, let's read it first. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new own, own new tomb, which he had hewn out, hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed from it. So there we have this stone. This great stone is anywhere from 3,000 to 4,000 pounds. Now, 
Any men out there? Well, women too, I guess, are in bodybuilding too. I know when I would go to the Y or some other places and events, you would see these people just wanting to lift a bench press of 300 pounds. Maybe 400 pounds. Or deadlift, like even up to 1,000 pounds. This stone weighs 4,000 pounds. It's on an incline. And what they would do, they would remove the shim from the stone and they would let it just roll into place and they would secure it. They would seal it and everything inside is secure and they know that. Well, this 4,000 pound stone, look at John's Gospel, chapter 20 and verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early and it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone. You see the expression taken away? It doesn't mean it was rolled away from the sepulcher. It means it was hurled away from the sepulcher. It's not there because they just moved it back up and put the shim back under it. This is a 4,000 pound stone that an angel hurled away from the sepulcher and then was seen sitting on it like, that was nothing. And here we have men saying, I can bench press 300 pounds. <laughs> this angel took a 4,000 pound rock and tossed it aside like it was a toothpick. We can't even begin to imagine that kind of strength and power. Can you imagine it? That's what happened. So we've got the testimony of the stone. We've got the soldiers, the seal, the stone. How about this theory? Jesus wasn't really dead. You see, he, wake, he, he awakened in the tomb and he got up and he rolled the stone away. <laughs> After being crucified, so badly beaten he was near death, but he had the strength to roll the stone away. How many of you know that stone was there? Not so that Jesus couldn't get out, but so that we couldn't get in because once they moved it and we got in you know what we saw the next thing a sepulcher that had no body no body in it look at Luke's gospel 24 the sepulcher has no body the tomb has no body in it is unexplainable they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed, gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So here we have no soldiers. Here we have no seal. We have no stone. And now we have no body. Can we explain where the body went? Well, look at the next one, the shroud. And we'll see where the body went. In John 19, verses 39 and 40, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices and as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So the Jews bury that way. 
They would take the body, they would wrap it in these grave clothes, put these hundred pounds of myrrh and alloys in the body, and it would harden up just like a mummy. It would be mummified. Well, look at chapter 20 and verses 2 through 8. Then she ran into and come up to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And they saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. And we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth. And that other disciple, who is John, came to the sepulcher. They, so they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went in, went he not in. Then cometh Peter, uh, Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Now I have a theory. John and Peter heard this news and they decided to run as fast as they could to get to the tomb. Peter put on his sandals. John got on Amazon and he ordered a pair of Asics running shoes. And they delivered quick back then. So he got on his Asics and he tore off. You notice how he bragged that he outran Peter? Did you notice that? He had to get that little dig in there for eternity. He outran Peter. He got there first. So, because he had his Asics on. And then the opening is about four and a half to five feet high, they say. And so he stoops down a little bit and he looks inside. And then coming up the rear is Peter. You know, Peter, he has no couth like that. He just barges right on in. He just runs right on to the tomb, right? And he sees what he sees. Well, what do they see? John looks, and there are the grave clothes. And it's like a mummy. It's like a cocoon. Maybe caved in it a little because, remember, there's 100 pounds of this. But there's no body there. The body, supernaturally, in a glorified state, passed through the grave clothes. And the napkin that was about his head was folded and off to the side. Now, if you understand the practice back then was this. That if you were sitting down and you were eating a meal and you needed to get up for some reason, you folded your napkin and you set it aside, next side, maybe to your plate. Because that meant you're coming back. But if you crinkled it up and just laid it there, that meant you were finished. You were done. Beloved, Jesus took that napkin, laid it next side all that linen cloth that you see there in the cocoon shape because he's saying this, I'm not done yet. I'm coming back. I've got some things to finish, to clean up, etc., etc. Can you see that? So inside that sepulcher, we have no body, but we have the evidence or the proof that Jesus, his wrappings are still there, even though his body is absolutely gone. It's not there. Praise God. Now, I don't know about you, but it just troubles me to no end that these Sanhedrin 
these scribes, these Pharisees can be so hard-hearted with all that evidence that they would rather come up with a lie and say his body was stolen that can't even hold up under water. It's unbelievable what they would do when they were all looking for the Messiah to come and now he's raised from the dead like he said and they won't even acknowledge it. How hardened must be the heart of anyone who exalts their religion above the reality. Look at John 20, because another fact is the fact of the scars. In John's Gospel, chapter 20, you know the story. Jesus appeared to his disciples, but Thomas was not there in the room when he appeared. So eight days later, what happens is Jesus appears to them once again. And let's read it. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you, then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust them to my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Imagine this. Thomas is with all these other disciples this whole time. These other disciples come and say, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we saw him with our own two eyes, we heard him talk, he came through the wall, etc., 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 and Thomas says, uh-uh, that doesn't satisfy me. I will not believe unless I stick my hand into the prints of his hands, his side, etc., 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 I will not believe. And so it takes Jesus showing up this time, and Thomas says, My Lord and my God, can unbelief be so deep that we can't even allow faith to enter into our hearts? It's because of these supposed blockages that we have in this natural world. You see, natural circumstances just prevent people from having faith in God. Human reasoning prevents people from having faith in God. But to his credit, he's been named Doubting Thomas throughout the centuries. But to his credit, and they didn't want to talk about this. He may have doubted at the beginning, but Thomas became an amazing evangelist that went everywhere and began to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He preached the gospel until he was martyred for his faith in Christ. And so, yeah, maybe a slow start, but a great finish in the life of Thomas. Can you see that? And then, of course, we have the last sign, and that is the sign of the sightings. The sightings. Look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because this is what it's all about right here. And it's said that the apostles, everywhere they went, this is what they preached. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of, number one, Cephas, Peter. We don't have a record of that. We don't see much more about that. But he did appear to Peter other than in John 20, 21 when it talks about, he said that to Peter to do what? Feed my sheep, etc. Then the twelve... The twelve, he appeared to them and they saw him alive. After that, he was seen of about 500 at one time. Can you imagine 500 people? You know what they said about Peter? They said, Peter, he, when he had this um, visitation, I guess he must have had some sunstroke or something like that. And so he was hallucinating. He didn't really see Jesus. And what they said about the Apostle Paul, in the end here it talks about the Apostle Paul. They said he had epilepsy out there on the Damascus Road. When they said about Stephen, Stephen was so hit so many times in his head that 
he didn't really see the heavens open and the Son of Man sitting at, or standing at the right hand of God because he was hit in the head. So this is all just nonsense. 500 people. You could take every one of those aside and just say, okay, I got this on you, I got this on you, I got this on you. But let me ask you a question. How do you sit down 500 people, many of which are still alive? Let's read the rest of it. After that, he was seen to 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of the, all the apostles. And the last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Eyewitnesses, 500 eyewitnesses at one time. Were they all hallucinating? Were they all having epileptic seizures in that? No. No. 500 people at one time saw him alive from the dead. And if that's not enough, I don't know. I go back and I try to think, what's wrong with these people? Look at Matthew's gospel. Once again, look at what it says. Chapter 27, 50. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves of many opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came up out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many." Imagine that scene. Aunt Gertrude died 45 years ago. And she comes up out of the grave and she goes into the city and says, Jesus is Lord of all. He's alive. Can you imagine? Uncle Arthur, he comes out of the grave. He goes knocking on your door and says, hey, I just want to let you know, Jesus is alive and well. And the list goes down. You get the patriarchs of old. Maybe Abraham showed up. Isaac showed up. And Jacob. Can you imagine if that were true? That they went to the Sanhedrin and just said, Hey guys, just want you to know. I'm Abraham. I'm Isaac. I'm Jacob. Just want to let you know. Jesus is Lord of all. And Elijah and Elisha appear and, and go into the city and get all the Sanhedrin together. And start saying, He is the Lord of all. And the list goes. All these graves that were opened. And they came up out of the graves. Night of the living dead. It's original number one. Can you imagine that? And still say, I don't believe that. How sad. How sad. What does all this mean? He's alive. He was crucified. He died. He rose again. He is alive. He's alive and we're forgiven. Death does not have the final say. Our closing text, Philippians chapter 2. Look at these verses and let them sink into our hearts and ears like they never have before. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There it is. Wherefore, you want to go up high in God? You've got to humble yourself and go low. 
He that exalts himself will be abased. He that abases himself will be exalted, Jesus said. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a model. What an example. He came to this earth. He was obedient to the Father. He suffered the death of the cross. He paid the penalty. As a matter of fact, he took our place, number one. He died our death, number two. He suffered our hell, number three. And praise God, he paid our sin debt, number four. We are forgiven. Give him a praise offering. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. God transferred all our sin on him. He bore our sin, sickness, disease, curse, and mental anguish upon himself. And praise God, he took it down to the realms of darkness where the wrath of God was upon him in full force. And then he was raised up from the dead on the third day. And he liberated every single one of us. He said, go set the captives free and let them know they are redeemed. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, if we really get a hold of God, you don't need hours of counseling. And, th- and, and uh, any, any kind of information other than the fact that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You don't need therapy for hours and hours and hours on end if we just identify with what Jesus has done. We sang the song, What He's Done. But does anyone really know what He's done? Well, what He's done is delivered us completely from all the powers of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of the living God. We're no longer under the jurisdiction of all the powers of the enemy. And no matter who you are right here and right now, let's say you're bound by this, bound by that, bound by the other thing. Let me tell you something right now. The chains have been broken. You are set free. It's a matter of acknowledging it. I share this testimony on uh, Wednesday. Let me just quick, quickly share it again to show you the power of the gospel. And I've got many other testimonies like this, but the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel. This minister was... Uh, accustomed to going into uh, the prison. And in Indianapolis, Indiana, he was, he'd go there and just minister to the people that were inmates. He was working on this one individual who was so rough and tough that he had to be shackled, hands and feet, no matter where he went. He would then go out maybe to the place where they had exercise and all that, shackled, no matter where he went. Couldn't trust him. He finally gave his heart to the Lord. And then he told the pastor he would like to get baptized in water. So the pastor arranged to have him baptized in water and brought a couple of elders from the church and they went there to the prison. And in the prison, they had him come out to the exercise yard where they would exercise and I guess do whatever, congregate. And there was a trough there. And that trough they would, it was full of water and they were going to baptize him. But the minister said to the guards, can you please take off his shackles, feet, ankles, so we could baptize him? And the guard says, not a chance. Absolutely not. No way. We're not doing it. They baptize him. His custom was when he went under the water, he said, buried with Christ in baptism. And as he began to pull him up out of the water and to stand him up, he would say then, risen to walk in the newness of life. But he couldn't get that whole statement out, risen to walk, when suddenly, before the eyes of all the guards and all the others who were there witnessing it, the elders as well, the shackles supernaturally fell off of his wrists, supernaturally fell off of his ankles, and he was completely 
free. And when one of the guards saw that, he asked to be baptized himself in the same water where that guy got baptized. You see, he got free spiritually, and now he got free physically. The power of the gospel. So in other words, just like they couldn't hold Jesus, they couldn't hold him either, was the statement. Let me tell you something. That rock could be 4,000 pounds. It could be 10,000 pounds. It could be 20,000 pounds. It could be 100,000 pounds. That rock in front of the tomb could have been a million pounds. Those guards could have been 16, 32, 48. The list goes on and on and on. You can get all the armies of the world and put them in front of that grave, in front of that stone that is enormous and mammoth. And guess what? No power on earth would hold him down. No chain could hold him in that tomb. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead. And we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Would you just praise him? Praise God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And finally, Ephesians chapter 2. I love these verses of Scripture. Do you love these verses? I hope you love them as much as I love them. Because this is our story. And you. Everybody say me. Me. You has he quickened or made alive. You were dead in trespasses and sin. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Did you hear that? The children of wrath, even as others. Everyone that is unsaved is under the wrath of God, but God... Everybody say, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, as he quickened us together with Christ by grace, are you saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Did you get all that? Oh, thank God. He's going to put on a show. For all of us to see. Get out the popcorn. <clears throat> Amen. I haven't had popcorn since 1996. <laughs> I had an attack of diverticulitis. I was in the hospital. There's no seeds, no this, no that, no the other thing. I haven't had popcorn since 1996. I guarantee I'm going to celebrate with popcorn when I watch that show. Amen. 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 I am. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, I, before we do this. You bear with me for one more moment. How many of you would give me one more moment? That's 50 moments right there I've got. This is the story, okay? You're not here because of religion. Go through some ritual, some whatever. You're here because the second person of deity left his estate, set aside his glory. And power entered into the womb of a virgin. Why? Because the blood in his veins could not come from Adam, the Adamic sin nature. It stopped right there. And so now the blood that's in his veins comes from the father who fathered him. And he was born of this virgin, the second Adam 
the last Adam. He grew up, developed. Age 30, he was baptized in water. Coming up out of that water, the Spirit of God anointed him and came upon him. John acknowledged him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He began to put on a display of what it's like to walk in the authority of man that God gave him from the very beginning when he went everywhere, turning water into wine, healing the nobleman's son, healing the leper who came down after he got done preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And then the Roman centurion's uh, servant or son. And then it goes on to the woman with the issue of blood. And then it goes on and on and on and on to the lepers. Whether they've got leprosy, whether they've got a lunacy, whether they're demon possessed, whatever they might have, no matter what sickness they had. He walked upon this earth, healed all their sick, set their captives free. If they were deranged in their thinking, he gave them back their right mind, the soundness of mind when he cast out the devils. He lived as no man lived. He's walked as no man ever walked upon this planet. Praise God, did as no man ever did before spoke as no man ever spoke before. He calmed the waves, the wind and the sea. They obeyed him. He spoke to trees and they obeyed him and they wouldn't produce anymore but they died there by the root because he gave the spoken word. All that he said that he would do, he did and finally, finally, he died as no man ever died. Not just, not just crucifixion. That is the child's play of his suffering. You can watch if you want a thousand times over the passion of the Christ, it does not depict the fullness of the sufferings of the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53 does though. Oh, thank God, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. On that tree, praise God, when it became dark from 12 to 3 o'clock, God Almighty placed upon him the sin of all mankind, the sin of all the world. Anyone who ever was, will, or will ever be was placed on him. Everyone's sin, which created separation from God, was placed on him on that tree. And I believe, and you don't want to believe this, that's okay, but Acts chapter 2 says this. When Peter preached the first message, when he proclaimed the first gospel message he said it was that the psalmist was speaking of Jesus that his his soul was not left in hell and his body did not see corruption Romans 10 7 says he was down in the abyss and who's going to bring him up from the abyss and so we see that God laid on him the iniquity of us all the fullness of the wrath of God came upon him he descended to the bowels of the earth and he paid the final payment for our sin debt and praise God and when in Isaiah 53 it says he looked over the banisters of heaven and he saw him in that place and he said it is enough he has justified many and God said thou art my son this day have I begotten thee and he raised him up praise God and when he arose from the dead he, Mary saw him and she wanted to touch him and hug him and he said Mary don't touch me yet I'm not yet ascended my father your father my God and your God hold on I got work to do I'm the high priest of the new covenant and so he carried the blood by the spirit of God and he went to, to the throne of God the place where man was banished from the very beginning and Adam and Eve were kicked out and flaming swords were there by the angels and the cherubim and seraphim you're not allowed to pass this place you, you got to stay away when he walked with his base in the blood praise God that he shed for the sin of the world and all mankind he said boy step aside I've got access by my blood and they stepped aside and he walked into the throne of God he sprinkled his blood on the heavenly utensils of worship and he obtained eternal redemption for all mankind once and for all. Hallelujah. That's what he did. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's a lion. He's a worthy lamb. That's why he's the worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. We're going to celebrate this in Revelation chapter 5. We're going to celebrate this. You realize that? 
When John wept because no one was found worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. Oh my goodness, he wept, but they said, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to take the book and loose the seals. I beheld and I saw a lamb as he had been slain. Seven eyes, seven horns sent forth into all the earth. Think about it. He sees this. He's worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And I beheld him and I saw him and he came. And when he did... All the elders and the angels bowed down. The elders bowed down before the Lamb. Having everyone go vows full of orders without the prayers of saints. And they sang a new song. We're going to be there. You're going to hear me sing. You're going to hear me sing. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And I heard the angels about the throne. The number was in 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne to the Lamb forever. And every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, and such as enter the sea, heard I saying, Wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing be unto him who sits on the throne to the Lamb forever. And all the beasts and elders said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Is that excite you? If not, go to Walmart and buy a new exciter. If that doesn't excite you, something's wrong. Does that draw you into want to worship God? Does that want that draw you to serve God? He did that for you, so the wrath of God would not be on you. And if you're out there right now, I'm, I'm, again, I say this with all due respect. If you're not born again, you're under the wrath of God. Not by choice, but by birth. When Adam sinned, that wrath of God that came on him came on you, me, and everybody else. There's only one one way out from beneath the wrath of God. Make Jesus your Lord. Because the wrath of God came on him. Fullness of the wrath of God was on him. It's not for you or anybody else. But if you want to stay there, you can. But the only way out, not good works, not good deeds, not even going to church. You make Jesus your Lord. And the wrath of God that was on him now is credited to your account. And now he sees you as righteous, holy, without spot, without blemish, a masterpiece created by Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah.